All right, well, let's get into the message tonight. We've been on a somewhat of a series um, that uh, is a, somewhat of a remake of a previous message, I, uh, a series that I did in 2013, but it, it's kind of focusing around the Sermon on the Mount some, uh, but really looking at some of the basics to the Christian walk. Remember, we talked about integrity. Um, we talked about, um, uh, about sanctification, about God's um, sanctification, Jesus's uh, uh, his holiness shining through us. And so we talked about that. Well, tonight, before we get into it, I just want to do a little experiment here. And I'll, I'll go ahead and give you one of those TV disclaimers. No, no person or animal will be harmed in the making of this illustration. Um, so uh, take out any worries. But uh, let's see who I can pick on. Danny. Danny. We'll pick on Danny. All right. So don't cut yourself, but verify that that's a that's a, a real knife, sharp knife. Okay. So Danny, we're gonna just give you a choice. Um, you you get to lose one part of your body tonight. It could be a hand or an eye, or something of that nature. But um, um, just want you to pick. What what shall it be? No, no, it's gotta be it's gotta be important. It's gotta be important. Hand, eye. Nose, nose, toe. Okay, now, um, I want to you to explain to me what would be the problem with you losing a toe. It hurt, but what, anything, any after effects? Yeah. Okay, okay. What about if we decide your hand? What, what would be the problem with losing your hand tonight? Okay, well, just if you want to put your hand up. No, I'm kidding. All right, so, so let me ask you this. Now, let's say that you have to lose one thing, but I, only give, you, I give you your three options. One is your hand, your eye, or your heart. What are you going to choose? Just one eye, hand, or your heart. Lose an eye, okay. Uh, can you tell me why the eye over the other? Okay. Right. Okay. Thank you, Danny. You can sit down. See, you you look nervous, but you're okay. You got to you got to leave with all all parts included. So so um, we gave him a choice. Uh, you know, why can you so quickly? Why could Danny so quickly choose one? When's a uh, you know choose one of those things when all three are very catastrophic? Well, obviously, the obvious thing is he said not the heart because he couldn't continue to live after that. That, was, uh, that would be uh, the kiss of death, if you will, to, to have that. It's, it's often that we uh, can quickly make big decisions like that that, are, that can have catastrophic uh, consequences uh, when, there's, when there's one that's, that's a lot worse, a greater consequence than the others. You know, if, if I know I'm going to lose a limb and it's between my hand, my eye, and my heart, obviously I'm going to choose either an eye or a hand. And that was very good thinking that you've got two eyes, you can still see, um, but you also have two hands, you know, and uh, quite a bit changes when you lose an eye. But, but um, we're going to look into something in Scripture that, that deals with the very thing about uh, something Jesus said that sounds just about as, as, about as morbid. So if you have your Bibles tonight, uh, we've been in Matthew We've been in Matthew chapter 5, and tonight we'll later read uh, verses 27 through 32. 
and it won't be that scary, I promise. All right. I've always been amazed at how plainly the Bible talks to us. Now, that's easy for the believer to say because we know Scripture says for the unbeliever, it all seems like foolishness, that, that it all seems uh, like hogwash, really. Because the Scripture actually gives a prescription for being able to understand it in there. That once you're a believer, the Holy Spirit illuminates the Scripture to the believer and it makes sense to them. You know, so in our world, it's like we we get so frustrated about why atheists will argue and argue with us. Well, you could really explain that easily, that if they are an unbeliever, then it's going to seem like foolishness. And the Bible has already foretold to you that you're going to get nowhere with them until they're ready to let it not be just reason, but get, but give God a chance to do something in their heart to experience God. So, <clears throat> so the the Bible though for us believers, it's it's fairly easy to understand. I mean, there's parts. I remember, um, you know, some of you know the story, the big uh, ugly uh, diesel truck I drive. It wouldn't be so ugly with some paint on it, right? But um, the cowboy Cadillac I drive. There's a, there's a man that was coming to church here that struggled with alcoholism that that drove that truck, and his family insisted that I uh, purchase that truck from him, and it ended up being a blessing. But, um, you know, I think about this guy quite often uh, when I drive that truck, and he would come on Wednesday nights, and a pretty gruff guy, I mean, he's about this tall. I mean, if they were making a movie about a scary truck driver, this guy would be it, you know, just a big guy. And uh, he used choice words sometimes, you know, because he was still a new Christian, and he'd get up and say, you know, I'm just not a a piece of... uh, who anymore and he'd use other terms you know and and say that in front of everybody on Wednesday nights and everybody kind of look at each other like pastor is that okay and um but but Brian would he would he was so hungry to know God's word he'd read it and he got to like kings and judges and numbers and he'd be like what is all this poo you know (laughs) and he would say those things what is this I don't why does that even have to be in there I don't get it I mean I get the part about don't kill people and don't lie but why is that you know and Brian was was starting to um starting to understand that, that there was uh, deep meanings that, that as he grew, God would uh, make known to him. But it's often being able to see the results. It's not so much that God's word is hard to understand, just reading at face value. It's really that when we look at how to apply it to our lives, it gets very, very complicated for us. Be- because we look at a, a scripture and it can give us uh, indications of if you do this, this may happen in your life. You're like, I don't understand. Why can't I just do what I want to do? Why does there have to be some big hairy consequence after that? I mean, everything that I want to do seems natural to me. So why is there a problem? And, and so many would read that scripture and, and say, um, you know, the scripture we're going to focus on tonight, uh, Jesus talks about it's better for you to cut off a hand or poke out an eye than, than to sin. Than to, co- than to cause you to sin. And so many would read that scripture and say, how terrible the Lord is to say to cut off your hand or poke out your eye. What kind of God is going to even suggest that you do that? I mean, he created you with those things. Why would you mutilate yourself? But maybe it's because uh, when people have trouble with scriptures like that, they don't really believe what the Bible says uh, when it talks about what hell will be like, what the consequences for those actions will be in the end. And so we're going to look a little bit closer to the scripture and what Jesus uh, is talking about, but we're going to really focus tonight on a very sensitive subject, and that's lust. 
or more, more specifically, acting on lust. Title of the message is Lust. It's not Cupid, it's stupid. We just had Valentine's Day, right? And you got those images of the little cute cherub angel, right? All red or pink, shooting the little heart arrows at, to people in the backside, and all of a sudden they fall in love, right? It's all about these, this cute little idea of falling in love. But, you know, there are people who will talk about falling in love and falling out of love. Well, I used to be in love with my spouse, and I fell out of love. I think it was my mother that just said, you know, you know one time said, that you don't fall in love or fall out. Love is a commitment. It, it's a decision um, to, to proceed, not, not something that you either fall into or fall out. So there's within me this desire to overlook this subject. I mean, obviously, it works out nice on Wednesday night when we dismiss the kids, right, to talk about lust. But also because there's so many people that are wounded by, by the effects of lust and the acting out of lust. And adultery and divorce, I know the subject can, if not handled with grace, reopen some of those wounds. Um, it's very easy for a minister to stand behind this pulpit who has never been through a divorce and try to uh, execute a good graceful explanation of why that happens and how to avoid it and some of you may say but you weren't there and you don't know the years of struggle and what led to that but on the other hand i recognize that god's word speaks to these topics and so i must declare the whole counsel of god and, and you have to give me a little bit of grace that some of these things i haven't experienced myself um, that god is leading me to maybe uh, uh, illuminate something in your life or your heart that will help you in the future and because there's so many that are wounded i I must allow God's word to speak this evening uh, to the preventative measures when we look at lust to prevent us from, from falling prey uh, to the temptation of lust. So with all that said, let's review a little bit here of what we've been through again um, and then look in God's word. So we, we handled integrity and we handled uh, sanctification or, or God's, um, God's uh, sanctifying work in our life. And so the strategy in that is that you know, every relationship has to be based on integrity, on honesty. If you remove that from the relationship, then, then all kinds of things go wrong. You've got to have a foundation of that. And, and then you have to have God continue to work and change your life, or you're easy prey for the enemy. So those couples you see who are not believers, who are atheists, who seem to have a happy marriage, you know, that's great. Maybe they are, are treading water and doing great, or maybe they seem to be doing a great job. But the, the truth is, as long as they expel God from being able to work in the relationship, they are the easiest prey out there for the devil to get a foothold. So we've learned in Matthew 5, 1 through 26, that uh, his kingdom is one that seeks integrity, uh, seeks the righteousness of Jesus, not man. And now tonight we're going to look at, at the kingdom of heaven as a kingdom of faithfulness, of faithfulness. So I'll read to you Matthew chapter 5, verses 27 through 32. You have heard that the law of Moses says, do not commit adultery. But I say, anyone who even looks at a woman with lust in his eyes has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So if your eye, even if it is your good eye, Danny, causes you to lust, gouge it out and throw it away. See, you don't even get a choice whether it's a good or bad eye. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your hand, even it, if it's your stronger hand, causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body be thrown into hell. 
Verse 31, if you have heard that the law of Moses says a man can divorce his wife by merely giving her a letter of divorce, but I say that a man who divorces his wife unless she has been unfaithful causes her to commit adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. So pretty strong language is talking about that there is a, a, uh, there is a biblical way that a uh, divorce can happen when there's infidelity but um, uh, by the one who's been wronged, but there is also the idea here that people were flippantly going into divorce just to be free, and we know that it's dealing with lust by the beginning of Scripture. So, so Jesus begins his teaching by once again using the phrase, you have heard it was said. You have heard it was said. So Jesus, in saying that, he's trying to correct some erroneous teachings. You know, it's age old. You can go from this church to another church all over northwest Arkansas, and chances are you'll land in some church where there's some erroneous teachings going on. Now, now we're not a church that's going to sit here and try to figure out which ones and, and say, oh, we're the, one, we're the one right church. But we do know that men will take Scripture and twist it to his own advantage, and we, we have dealt with that a little bit. I've told you that there have some, been some churches that have dissolved in this area, that there are broken people in your workplaces I know because of the numbers of people that, that have left those churches, there are some people who have been wounded and hurt by false teaching in churches just recently in our area. So there's chances are you're working next to people who have, have encountered these kind of things. So Jesus is saying, you've heard it was said. He's trying to correct some erroneous teaching of the scribes and Pharisees. So let me explain this a bit. Jesus is not saying that, that their teaching, you shall not commit adultery, is wrong. He's not saying that's wrong. It's that their application of the law was wrong. It's how they applied to their lives. Again, what I was talking about in the beginning is that it's not often understanding Scripture at face value that's difficult for us. It's when we try to take that and apply it and make it work in our lives. So, again, the religious folks were teaching the people that only the actual act of adultery was sin. As long as you never acted on it, as long as you never touched someone of the opposite sex other than your spouse, as long as you never pursued them, flirted, whatever you want, as long as there's no act associated, it's all internal, then it was not sin. So a man could lust after a woman all he wanted. He could focus on that. He could fantasize. He could make it his entertainment just as long as he did not physically commit the act of adultery. And this is what the scribes and Pharisees were putting a stamp of approval on. So it'd be like you coming to church and me as your pastor saying, look, you know, we're worrying way too much about all this sin stuff. As long as nobody actually does anything and it's just in your thought, your, your thought life, and you're okay. God doesn't care. So Jesus goes beyond this to the physical act, to the, the reason that act occurs is lust. So in chapter 5, verse 28, again, it says, But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Same for women or men. He uses the, the masculine, the feminine in, in the roles here, but the same. Uh, it is uh, historically and statistically more likely that men struggle with lust of the eyes and the heart. Um, you know, we're, we're more visual in that way, and that's proven, but, but there are plenty of women who struggle with this too. So you see, before a man ever commits adultery with his body, he first commits it with his mind. That, that means 100% of the time, it happened in the mind first. There's none of this, oh, I wasn't looking for anything, and I just happened to be at the wrong place at the right time, wrong time, and, and uh, 
you know, this was presented in front of me and I just had a weak moment. You know, we know from what Jesus is teaching that it, it begins in the heart and mind first. There is an, always an opportunity to, to stop. Stop it before it becomes, it goes any further. So in his heart, he's already had her. With his eyes, he's already undressed her. And in his mind, he has already committed the actions. And Jesus teaches us that good fruit comes from a good heart. That, that he also tells us that bad fruit comes from a corrupt heart. And he goes on to teach us that, that what is in the heart of man is what will come out in his words and his actions. And that's why previously we talked about that tube of toothpaste. That if it had mud in it, you go to brush your teeth in the morning and you squeeze that toothpaste and mud comes out. You'd be like, what in the world did that company do? This must be a prank. What are they doing? You expect whatever's on the wrapper to come out. And so when you profess that I'm a Christ follower, it's not about just saving face and, and making sure nobody sees you do any wrong. But what is on the inside of you matters because when pressure is applied to your life and you're squeezed, what's on the inside will come out. You ever remember the kid's song, Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see? Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see? For the Father up above is looking down in love. Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see? Oh, be careful, little feet, where you go, right? The, the whole premise of that song, the whole thing we're trying to teach our so children in that is that it does matter your actions um, because what you take in through your eyes and the places you go, you will absorb and it will impact your walk with the Lord. So let me just clarify something. Jesus is not telling us that the physical act of adultery and adultery of the mind are the same thing. They're both sins. And I've heard people say, well, I've already committed adultery in my heart, so I might as well go through with it in the flesh. And I know, I know men that I've talked to uh, before I was pastor here and in Bible college, you know, um, accountability partner, and hey, I'm, struggling with pornography and it's already you know i've acted on this stuff and well it was already in my heart so by by scripture uh, i've already committed it anyway but see nothing could be further from the truth the action of adultery can bring great pain and damage it is it, it's even greater but if we get our lust under control and under the lordship of christ much damage can be avoided it's hard enough to hear from a spouse i've been thinking about doing this uh, than to hear, I, I acted on it, and I can't undo it. So it's not so much that the sin is greater in God's mind of what was in the heart or in the thought than the action. It's the damage that happens. Now you've caused someone else to stumble. Maybe you caused your spouse to be angry and wish they could kill you. You know, Now they have a murderous heart, and it's because of your action. So you have caused someone else to stumble. So the fallout is greater. And that's what I was talking about in the beginning. God's word is maybe simple to understand, face value. But when you apply it to your life and you're looking at, am I going to lose a hand here? Am I going to lose an eye? Am I going to lose my heart? That is where we see that, that uh, the enemy will lie to us and say it's all the same. It's all the same. No, the fallout is different from, for different ones. It doesn't mean we should give more credence and, and be more careful about certain sins. It just means that um, you can't say, I've already done this far, so in God's eyes, I might as well carry it all the way. So you may have enough fear of being caught to never act on the adultery uh, being committed in your mind, but nevertheless, your thought life has to be surrendered to Christ because it is still leading you down a sinful path. Now, Jen cannot stand uh, one of my choices of, of shows. 
Um, I've said there's two things, if I was not called to ministry, that I may have ended up in a career path. I've learned later in life. Now, I wouldn't have said this 10, 20 years ago, but one would be a forensic crime scientist, you know, processing the DNA and looking into and the whodunit. And I love that. You know, I don't care about the gore and stuff. She, she, all that she sees in those shows is that somebody was, was murdered. And I'm, I'm thinking there's an opportunity to find who did it, hold them accountable. I like that part. You know, and the other is, is advertising. I don't know how that works in. But, but, but the crime shows. And so, um, you know, when, when we look at this, um, I, I, I think about some of these shows where there's a common thread that goes through so many of them. That young man who is lonely has a, a engulfed himself in pornography and begins to live in a fantasy world. And he's so uh, into it that all of a sudden he loses track of reality and, and he sees some woman that he wants to to make that fantasy happen with and he goes to the point of murder he ends up having to try to cover his tracks and murder happens so there's this this idea that that once you open yourself up and you begin to absorb lust uh, and it can be lust for many things not just uh, in a sexual nature but but lust it, it causes you to begin to to live in a fantasy realm you know it really could be money I mean, you think about it, there's some people who begin to lust after money so much, they covet to the point that, that their heart is so uh, overwhelmed, they become uh, in this fantasy world of, I've got to get to this place. A- and they will literally uh, end up committing murder to cover up their wrongdoing. You know, Billy Graham, world-famous evangelist, traveled the world, and early in his ministry, he made a covenant with his wife never to be alone with a woman other than her. He would not even ride in an elevator alone with another woman. You imagine the staff he had when they have tens of thousands of people in stadiums and, and the amount of staff it has to help that happen, and male and female alike, and what great feat that must have been for him to always hold that promise that he was never alone with a woman other than his wife. But he understood that, that, that extended times away from home and from his wife were a minefield of temptation. Gentlemen, we are by nature visual creatures, as I said. And and we may think we got a handle on things, but you can never leave the open door. You can never do it. I don't care how good you think you are, you can never do it. You know, I don't I'm not gonna toot my own horn on this because I've had my struggles in the past, but but since I've become pastor, I just I know that I cannot, you know, if a lady comes to church during the week and I'm in my office and I'm thankful for these cameras now, so I know they're pulling in the parking lot, boom, I'm beeline out to the front foyer because we're not going to be alone in my office. We're not going to be out of sight uh, of people. There's always activity across the street I'm thankful for and, and windows up here. And, and so, you know, you, you guard yourself from even the appearance of evil. Not to save face, but to save your heart from wandering into lust. If a woman, woman walks into a restaurant and you look at her, Generally, it can be just a look. The problem occurs when I take the second or third look, and that's when you, you and I, we begin to allow our thought life to become more active than it should. And some may say, Pastor CJ, I only look once. Yeah, but we're not talking about a five-minute meditation on that thought, okay? I only looked once, but I, I, have, this, I have a mind like a trap. I have a, a camera, you know, what is that, a photographic memory. And so... If you've snapped the picture and then you continue on, you are still in the same boat as the guy that keeps gawking. 
And ladies, it goes, it goes as well. I, I don't want to take away from the fact that there are statistics that say that there are plenty of women that struggle with the same thing. So a radical solution Jesus offers. What, what does Jesus recommend that we do about this problem with lust in our heart that could lead us to adultery or even divorce? The next few verses of Matthew 5 present a radical answer to the problem. Verse 29, if your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. None of this, put it in a baggie, get to the hospital, and hope they can reattach it. Right? Gouge it out and throw it away. I mean, very strong, graphic language. Some of you are getting queasy just thinking about it. But it's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. You know, we can't even imagine why Jesus would say something so horrible. And another show that my wife doesn't like that the boys take, they love like the, when the animals attack. You know, most parents are like, that gives you nightmares. Boys lo- my boys love to watch those shows where someone nearly escapes an animal attacking, you know. And so we're watching one, and this, this zookeeper works with the big crocodiles. And you know where this is going. And he's done this for decades. But he makes one bad mistake where he, he's trying to wrangle one and he lets off the noose around the front jaws. It begins to snap and as he turns, his hand is in the way and that thing snaps down and does death roll and literally just tries to dismember him. And, and it does permanent damage. And, and my boys are like, whoa. That's, and the guy ends up having to get a prosthetic. You know, clear up here. But that man said, he said, I, would, I knew that if I did not turn and try to get away even at the loss of that limb that it would continue it'd get another one and it'd get another one until it had all of me and and so there's this uh, uh fight or flight thing that happens like if i gotta lose a part at least the rest of me is okay and, and we go through a lot of horrible stories about people in survival situations where they've had to, to to remove a limb to save their life Verse 30, and if your right hand caused you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Now, tonight after service, I won't be passing out more knives for people to go home and take care of their lust problems. Um, you know, we're not going to do that. I believe Jesus is speaking figuratively. He is not encouraging his followers to mutilate their bodies. He's trying to wake us up. He's, it's, it's like in those times when the heat's too hot in here, and I know the Holy Spirit's just burning me, and I got a message. But, but the physiological things working on you, a long week and tired and it's heat and you're asleep and uh, falling asleep in the service and I walk out here like this, you know, if Andrew's sleeping and I'm coming up here, nobody knows it, but I'm trying to wake Andrew up because I know the Holy Spirit wants us all to hear it. Jesus, I believe right now, is using such graphic, uh, picturesque language to get their attention and say, stop believing this junk of the Pharisees and, and the scribes who are trying to tell you that as long as it's only internal, then you're okay because the internal stuff is going to lead your whole body into hell. That you're going to lose everything. That, that you're worried. I'm, I'm telling you, you could cut out an eye. You could cut off a hand. You could do all those things and be better if it keeps you from sinning than for your whole body to burn for eternity. So the underlying point Jesus is teaching is about keeping right relationships with our, our spouses, the opposite sex, our uh, realize that in his wor- world, that in his world, men and women work in the same offices like they do now. Now, they didn't have office spaces like they do now, but they worked 
uh, sometimes in close proximity. The women maybe stayed home, but there was, there was the marketplace that they'd have to go and get food to provide. There's always opportunity for lust to trip us up. Just, just as well in Jesus' world as it is today, and probably, and, and not undoubtedly more so today. The workplace is often filled with sexual overtones and is also often the place where many adulterous relationships begin. It was so disheartening for me when I worked in the corporate environment to, to know I'd hear, hear the stories of people who go off on work trips together. And, and uh, you know, it was tough. I got put in situations, too, where, you know, my wife and I had understandings, but, you know, I had to travel with my boss who was a female, and it was, it was just against what I, and I had made my stance on certain things that would not happen. Uh, we wouldn't be in the same, uh, if we had to be in the same hotel, we wouldn't be on the same floor. You know, we'd be as far away. I tell the people down there, I got to be as far away from my boss as possible, make a joke of it um, so that they would comply and, and get me as far away. It just anything. It, it's a fight. You understand? I, there was no attraction to my boss, no inkling in my mind ever. Anybody that, that would know me would say, you don't got anything to worry about. And she loved my wife and there was nothing. You know, but, but the thing is, is I'm not going to give the enemy even one little chance. And even if there's not one little chance, I'm not going to give the enemy a chance to create some gossip over here that will hurt my testimony. You see, that's the kind of you have to be like that, that alligator sinking your teeth in, going into the death roll when it comes to your marriage. That's the kind of fight you have to have to keep the enemy out. I believe Jesus is telling us that before our thought life gets the best of us, we need to cut it off. We need to cut it off. So another little funny story that I'll get in trouble for, for sure, after service. This one's worth it. I'll get in trouble by my wife um, in, in all good fun. But w- we went to one of those um, shops you may go to when you're married for, like, pretty stuff for your wife, you know. Uh, I'm just going to put it that way. And we don't go to those places a lot. And, you know, when I was younger and married, I was nervous going in there. But now that I'm fat and totally feeling undesirable, I walk in there like a king, like... Not embarrassed at all. I don't care about all this lacy stuff around me. Can't embarrass me. You know, all these younger people working there, you know, and they're, they're trying to be so helpful, and there's some strategy they have that's not healthy. I think they, they um, probably promote there. But I'm walking in like, I love Jesus, and I can go any place, right? Uh, and so um, Jennifer uh, is, is, is trying to find stuff that she needs, and she's having trouble. It's, it's a mess. They haven't really kept the place up. And, and so I said, just ask for help. She goes, no, I don't want any help. Hey, just this is role reversal, right? The guy is telling her to ask for directions. Okay, just ask for directions. Ask, ask him where that thing is you're looking for. No, I'm not going. So she looks. I'm, I'm getting tired of staying in there. Now at this point, it's not about being in the environment. I'm hungry and I want to go. You know. So I get somebody. I get this young lady. I said, help my wife. She gets over there. Now I'm not going to tell any of the details because um, after my wife repeated back to me, I see where she was being inappropriate, but. My wife gets the idea. We go out, and we're sitting in the car, and she goes, if she made one more comment, I was going to lose my salvation. I was going to be all over her. And I was like, what are you talking about? And she gets to this idea. This lady was being inappropriate with me, and as she replays, I'm like, oh, yeah, that was probably not the most professional thing to say to someone's husband, you know. And um, so in that moment, but, you know, that was one of the few times I missed it. But, but my wife knows that if I'm ever talking to someone, uh, talking to another lady, and they're being very kind, waitress whatever and just for a moment if that feels good to me 
like, oh, I kind of like that. I kind of like the attention they give me. I'm out of there. I've done it before. We're gone. Let's get up and go. I don't care. I'll pay the check. We didn't eat. I don't care. We're out of here. Now, you guys may think that's crazy, but I'm just going to be transparent with you. In my life, one of my struggles was wanting to be that husband and wife, and I dated a lot, and I made plenty of mistakes, and I'm not willing to even take a chance on, on treading on the precious thing that God's given me. My, my wife is, is, God bless her, she got the worst in the deal, but she is perfect to keep me in line. And, and every day, I, I just thank God for her. I look at her and say, how in the world did I deserve this woman? You know, she, she and I are best friends. We, we have the most fun together. You, you look at some of the crazy pictures we put on Facebook, and we are best friends. We just laugh and have fun. Is it all party? No. Have we ever fought? Oh, yeah. I should tell you the story one time when I threw a protein shake down at the ground our first year of marriage. She, she got under my skin, and I never react that way. And we're cleaning protein, protein drink off the little crevices in the house for like years after and laughing about it. But, but we've had our struggles, but I will never, ever... I shouldn't say this because it probably comes from all, but I remember what it's like to go after the person just because you think grass is green on the other side and all the mess in their life getting into your life. And, you know, that's the problem with affairs is because at the time the excitement and all that seems good, but the fact is if that person is willing to tread on your marriage, then you are going to absorb all the junk that they have in their life and your life is going to get exponentially worse. Bar out the fact of what your spouse is going to react and all the horrible things that your kids may go through, but the very fact that you are pairing yourself with someone who is willing to do that, you are heaping on yourself coals that will burn for a long time. It, it will be so, uh, the things that will happen. Now, God's grace, when you repent, God can, can uh, remove the effects of that. He, he can have grace, um, but it can be a terrible thing. If what we're looking on, at on TV and magazines, on the internet, on Facebook, or on our smartphone is causing lustful thoughts to continually roll over in our mind, we need to cut that off right away. If what we desire in our heart is to touch with our hands is, and is causing us to desire someone other than our wife, you have to cut off that relationship. You have to run. Pornography is destroying a generation. In, in the in introduction to his book, Porn Again Christian, Mark Driscoll writes that, that you are a part of a culture that spends more money each year on pornography than country, rock, jazz, classical music, Broadway plays, and ballets all combined. More money than all those industries. You don't think that they're good? You don't think that they're not good at getting your attention? In 2001, Noel Bitterman started a website to help arrange extramarital affairs. And some of you will know because in more recent news, someone hacked their accounts and put it out public. All of the people who were signing up on the site to have extramarital affairs. By the time this happened, they had 30 million subscribers. 30 million people had signed up for this site. And all this exposed, they had people committing suicide knowing that their spouse was going to find out. Literally, people took their lives because of the fallout of that sin, that lust. By 2015, mobile adult content and services are expected to reach, we're expected to reach 2.8 billion per year. So you know, now we're 2017, it's just going up. Mobile adult subscriptions will reach nearly 1 billion. 
and mobile adult video consumption on, on, uh, will, will triple. You might say, I don't have a computer or a smartphone. Well, that may be true, but most of us have a television, and it's rampant with pornography and images. We started on Netflix looking at some of these older movies that were coming up. And, you know, in my mind, all the Tom Hanks movies were pretty innocent. And it says PG, you know? Or, you know, I'm thinking, okay, that's good. And so we'd start looking them up before the kids could watch them to see what was in there. And we're finding out PG does not mean, I mean, it's parental guidance and for a reason. And there's many of those shows we couldn't show our children. And if you can't show your children, you shouldn't watch them either. So here's the thing. The point I'm trying to make is this. If you value your relationship with your spouse, you'll take whatever steps it requires to cut those things out. And guys and ladies, if, if we watch those shows, if ladies, you watch romantic shows, and you're like, I wish I had that knight in shining armor. And men, you watch those shows, so I wish I was a guy blazing in with guns, saving the world. Well, here's a place you can really play it out, your marriage. Guys, go, go against the attempts of the enemy with guns blazing. And ladies, you know, let your husband be the knight in shining armor. Don't walk over him and don't, don't put pressures on him that God doesn't want on him. Give him the grace to lead and make some mistakes. He, you know, being, being the priest of the home is a big, hairy deal. God has placed a lot of responsibility on a man to be the priest of the home, and it is a heavy, heavy weight to carry. And no matter what you think about trying to think that you can figure out how that feels, one thing I've learned about leadership positions, no one can really know how it feels till you're there. Do you, do you know I could have, and, and I'm saying this all due respect to my dad, but my dad pastored far more decades than I have yet, and um, he's done a, a, a great job. But, but even now we talk, and, and you know, I'm sure it's refreshing his memory about some of the things that he felt when he pastored, when I, when I expressed some of the feelings I'm having. You know, with time, when you're in the heat of it, no one can truly know how it's feeling. They may remember being in that spot before, but they don't know. And so wives, please understand that your husbands, in the heat of it, have more pressure in that role than you could ever imagine. Yes, you have pressure to, to fill your role that God has placed in you, but it's different. It's different. The buck ends with him. And even if you don't think he's doing a, a great job of that and you're having to be the one where the buck ends with you and, and that's broken, just understand it's not so easy to regain that. It takes two people. So men, your wife has to become the absolute standard of beauty, of passion, and excitement in your life. And ladies, your husband has to become the absolute standard of masculinity and security and passion in your life. You, you, you have to make the choice that they are going to be everything to you. If you're going to fantasize about anything, fantasize about who God is turning them into and give them the grace for who they are right now. So by gazing too long onto other uh, men or women, chatting it up in chat rooms or private messenger or viewing pornography, you're, you're creating scenarios in your mind that they can't live up to. Here, here's the thing I've always said. You may think that things are so broken in your relationship, you go looking elsewhere. Guess what? The same amount of work and effort you've been trying to put into that and having a hard time, it's going to be the same in the next one. Here's the worst part of it, though. That relationship afterwards started out of a broken one. So now you've got that plus a history. And the, some of you that have been divorced, you know what I'm talking about. You know that, hey, it didn't just get easier the second time. Now, now, that first person you may still think is crazy, right? And, and you still put a lot of blame on them. But in the end, you know that 
you traded some problems for others. You still had to work things out. Maybe this one's working out better, but it's still, uh, it's still difficult. So I want to speak to you, the women a little more just for a moment. This same thing can happen when you're not careful about the things you're reading, the things you're absorbing. Pornography gets a lot of attention, and men and pornography. But these romance novels, magazines describing perfect, intimate experiences can cause you to begin building scenarios in your mind that your husband may not be able to live up to, nor any other man alive. You see, the world is trying to make relationships a com- commodity, consumerism. That's why that site that was setting up extramarital affairs, that's why it was a, a multi-billion dollar business. It literally went over the billion dollar mark, kept going. Uh, it, was, it, was, it was getting national media attention, and they're talking about it like as if it was Kinko's copying machines. You know, wow, look at your numbers this year. You know, who would have thought? Maybe you ought to trade on the stock market. That was talked to. You know, I didn't know anything about all this, and I started researching it, uh, uh, you know, in preparation for this, uh, this message, and it got sickening. I was like, I watched some of these news media things where they were just talking about like as if they were selling hamburgers. They're selling infidelity. They're breaking marriages apart. So ladies and men, you've you got to understand that whatever you feed into your marriage, those unhealthy things will produce something. You either take godly things in, and produce a godly marriage, or you take ungodly things in and produce an ungodly one. So we have to guard our hearts against evil, the evil of lust. We have to establish some barriers in our lives and then live by them. You know, it can actually be fun. I kind of thrive on it. Me and Jen, it's like we are the two troopers, you know, against all the, all the bad out there for our marriage. And it's like, okay, I'm going to tell you this. You're not asking me to do this, but I will call you when, I, when I'm on a trip and there's other ladies, I'm going to call you periodically. I'm going to let you know what I'm doing. Jen doesn't expect that. She trusts me. But it's not about that. It's not about what she needs. It's about what I'm going to do to show her how much I love her. And I, w- I want to make sure she knows that she is loved and she's secure in this relationship. I'm not going anywhere. You try to leave me, I will follow you. I don't care about restraining orders. <laughs> you know <laughs> that, that I'm here and that, and that she has no concern for me leaving. Listen, we've had those conversations where the enemy got a foothold and we started giving to each other doubts. And you want to talk about sick stomachs and sleepless nights and thinking, how did we ever get to that kind of conversation? So we have to guard our hearts. What about divorce? Well, we've talked extensively and frankly about how lust can lead to adultery and, and sometimes leads to divorce, but lust of another person is not the only cause of divorce, but it's the hardest one to heal from. That kind of betrayal is the hardest to heal from. Obviously, God wants us to get our lust under control before it gets to that point. And I think this is the focus of Jesus' teaching. You've got to understand, again, the outsider, the unbeliever, will look at the Bible as a bunch of rules that don't make sense. Why live by those rules? And Jesus is saying, it's not about the rules, it's about me protecting your tender heart that it may continue to be tender and get more tender and your life be full of love and peace and joy and kindness, right? That the fruit of the Spirit may flourish in your life. Jesus is telling these these things because it's just the way we were created. And it's the way sin and this world works. 
You dabble in the things that the enemy offers, and he will suck you dry of everything good in your life. So Jesus is not saying, obey the rules. Just doesn't matter about your thoughts. Just make sure you don't act on them. Jesus is saying, no. You're already having your heart robbed from you if you even play around in your mind. If someone comes to me, trouble in their marriage, I've learned that until God gets me to a different place in my ministry, I don't really do marriage counseling. I do, I'll do premarital counseling before they're married. Um, some instances, I may send them somewhere else, but there are other people who God has given a talent for that, and I try to get them to the right resource. But there's times when people have come to me, and, and God is leading me to speak into their life, and uh, it's not a matter of handing them off to somebody else that God has planned on there for me to minister to. And my desire is reconciliation. Even in the case where people feel like we made a mistake, we weren't living for God, and we made this choice to come together in an ungodly way, and so God never meant for us to be together. Well, guess what? You made a commitment for him, now he does. Now he does. Now he wants to bring, because he is a God of restoration and reconciliation, and he wants to make it better than what he might have had planned for you before that. He can take two unlikely people and make them the best uh, best couple, the best marriage relationship ever. It's difficult in so many ways, but one of the most hurtful things for the spouse is reminders of the one whose marriage vows were broken for. They're reminded of, of broken promises of the marriage vows. You see, God created man and then made woman for them to enjoy each other through faithfulness in their vows to him and each other that God truly looked at it not as a union of two, but of three. Like a triple braided cord. The husband and wife is one strand, but the strongest one is Jesus woven into that marriage. So when we commit adultery, God is reminded over and over again of the first adultery committed against him, his beloved creation, broken by sin, that, that Adam and Eve took their marriage relationship and broke it because they removed God for a moment from the relationship. With adultery, you're not choosing between your hand or eye or heart. You're choosing between your hand, your eye, or breaking God's heart, breaking your spouse's heart, and destroying your eternal life. So Jesus is trying to tell us that while the sin is hidden with lust and no outward action is done, the consequences are the same. They still have the same fallout in our hearts, in the hearts of our spouse. It will separate you from God, and if unrepentant of it, then your time, and your time is done on earth, you'll be in eternal separation in hell. And, and that's a much more severe consequence. So, if you're struggling with, uh, with those second and third looks, I want to give you some things, uh, end on a positive note here, of some tools. I want to help you. Number one, refuse to rationalize the problem. Refuse to rationalize the problem. Often men, the easiest thing for us to do is like, I'm man, hear me roar. I've, I've been created. I've got this drive in me, and I can't help it. God made me that way, and that's just, I have a healthy drive. Don't rationalize it, because God didn't create you to sin. Second, get the problem out in the open. You know, your wife or your spouse, your, your, your spouse should have access to your phone, to your email, 
I'm not saying that you're going around checking up each other on each other. That's unhealthy. It should be each person offering up to the other one, saying, I want you to. If there's been a problem, then that's the best time to say, I want you to. Maybe you're at a point where it's like she knows how to get in there. She can look anytime. I lay my phone out up. There's no, she knows the passcode. But it's when you start hiding things. So get the problem out in the open. And I would suggest that you don't just speak to anyone. Don't, don't, guys, don't go to the to other guy at work who he may be a believer, but he's struggling with the same thing. It's like, hey, we both have the same problem. Let's talk. That can be unhealthy. Go to go to a pastor. Go to myself or uh, you know someone you trust. You don't need to go to a lot. Find a trusted person who will pray you through it. Um, but I, I would say sometimes those relationships where someone has the same struggle, we need to cut those off for a time. They might be encouraging it. It might be the things they're letting in their life and they have this influence on you. And then repent. The third thing is repent. It's not a terrible word. Repentance is the start of a new day. Repentance is I know what I've done wrong. I'm not going to focus on that and let the enemy crush me with it. The Holy Spirit has convicted me. Now I'm moving forward. Pray for your marriage. If you're married, then you must pray that God will help you to love your wife well. You know, I prayed for my spouse-to-be before I even knew Jen. I prayed. I was maybe a little different than some guys. I wasn't praying about, God, can you help me be that rocket scientist and make a bunch of money? I honestly really did not care what career God took me into at one point. All I asked God for is for me to be a good husband and father. I've asked him for that. Help me. You know, I prayed. But you know what? I found out that once I got married, I thought the deal was done, and there was a point where I stopped really praying for my marriage, and that's a wrong thing to do. I can tell you it's powerful when you pray out loud over your spouse where they can hear you, right? I think we've talked about this, Ken. You, I, cannot get un, I cannot help but get emotional when I pray over Jennifer out loud because I'm taking her under my care as a priest at home, and when I pray over her, it, it's powerful. It's more powerful than me praying for anybody else in the church. I mean, you take the best service where the Spirit was moving, and it's nothing compared to when you pray and the Holy Spirit descends in your home and you feel that powerful prayer over your spouse. And they're, they're, they're taking that in. Quite honestly, guys, you get the best kisses after those kind of prayers. <laughs> Just pray for your marriage. And then last, be accountable. Accountability is your friend. The right accountability. You need somebody more mature than you in your spiritual walk and personality-wise and everything. Find someone who is doing it right, okay? So who you perceive is doing it right. You know, see if they'll open up and tell you if they're doing it right. So you can check them out and then make them your accountability partner. You know, you and your spouse may need separate accountability partners. For me and Jen, I tend to talk way more than her. And there is uh, an unhealthy thing that happens sometimes if we go talk to someone together. It's better for her to have some time, me to have some time, and then we come together and talk. That way she gets adequate chance to express herself. But be accountable. And then so what about us as a church What are we going to do when someone divorces or someone commits adultery? Or what will we do when someone joins a church who has been divorced? This is a hard one. In our culture, people would say, we don't judge, we're accepting, we stay out of people's business. Scripturally, we have a responsibility, if they are in this body, to interject into that situation. And and if there's a chance for us to pray them into um, reconciliation, then praise God. Marriage is saved. You know, 
we, we don't have time to get into all the details. You could come up with 100 scenarios, but the scripture does give us guidance on how to help people, not just divorce, but anything else going wrong in their life. And we need to follow through and, and be very scriptural in how we deal with our relationships in the church. So first of all, we will love people. Divorce is not the plague. Uh, second, we're going to help them find healing and restoration for themselves as, and, and family members. And third, we're not going to make a public or private commotion about the situation because we all have areas of our life where we have failed to honor God. So here's the thing. It's hard for some of us who have grown up church to think there may be a situation where someone is unfaithful to their spouse and God has given them okay that they are going to divorce them. But I have heard and, and seen in churches where we can ostracize that person because divorce is just a dirty word. But scripture and the Lord has given them, hey, there's been a break in that covenant and one that scripture says that they could separate. Now, I've also seen the opposite where, where someone pursues, um, you know, sometime I'll do uh, uh, a sermon about an example in scripture where the husband pursued an unfaithful wife, um, and it's an powerful story. But they also need a place where they can grow in Christ and overcome any future temptation. People are not to be cast out when, when there's a chance for restoration. All right, so, so here's where we stand with New Song. Here, here we have Valentine's Day, and this is a pretty heavy uh, ending to Valentine's Day, I understand. But God has really downloaded my heart that you know, this has been a family church from the beginning. That's where our, our focus has to be, is on strengthening the family unit. And, and we've done a series this last year in 2016 about community, getting into each other's lives, and knowing when things are going right, and we need to be responsible for each other's marriages too. If, if we're really going to see God do a great things through New Song, we've got to care enough to make sure that, that we're doing everything we can to keep each other healthy in the Lord. And so I have to really appreciate Ken. He uh, gave Jen and I uh, a free pass to go to that marriage conference. Jen and I started talking. We'd never gone to a marriage conference in over 12 years of marriage. And it was a big blessing. It was a, you know, several days, power-packed. Um, you know, it is very good for us. And so I'll challenge you, you know, foster some of that in others. Maybe you can't pay for someone to go to a marriage conference. You know, uh, um, that was a blessing on bo- for both of us. But you can, um, you can seek out mentors for your marriage. You can be a mentor for one that's maybe a little further behind than you. But we need to be really watching out for each other because this day and time, uh, the marriage is under attack like never before. To the point now, we struggle with the whole definition of marriage in our culture. So we're going to take time to pray, and as we... Um, always do we want to give a chance for us to respond to god's word and so whether it's time at the altar or you just want to pray for a few moments let's take at least the next five minutes and then uh we're not gonna have a formal dismissal if you pray and you feel released and you want to visit just go out in the foyer and close the doors but if you want to find a place to pray about your relationship between you and the lord as well as uh, between you and your spouse i just challenge you to take this time to do that